0: Welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast by asweatlife.com on which we talk to high achievers about their goals. I'm Gina Anderson-Cohen, founder and CEO of A Sweat Life, and on this week's episode, I'm proud to bring you the audio from one of our sessions, our keynote session, in fact, from the Sweatworking Summit. This week, you'll hear from Nicole Cardoza, who is a force of nature. She is the founder of Anti-Racism Daily. She's the founder of Reclamation Venture. She's the founder of Yoga Foster. And all of the work that she does is really formed around the idea of equity equality, anti-racism in the wellness world and the world around us in general. Since June 3rd of 2020, she and Anti-Racism Daily have amassed hundreds of thousands of subscribers uh, to an email platform that is meant to give actionable tips to make the world a more anti-racist place. She also formed Reclamation Ventures, that is seeding uh, money with underestimated entrepreneurs, which is probably my favorite term used for folks who just need someone to give them money (laughs) and understand that their voice is worth a business too. Um, She talks about the story of forming that fund, how it came out of a a real big time of trial and a public um, sort of incident with Yoga Journal. And she also creates moments for children to find wellness and well-being through Yoga Foster too, which she'll talk about forming and founding in this episode as well. We hope that you enjoy the episode and really find something to grab onto. Um, in the post and the show notes that go along with this, you'll find lots of ways to subscribe uh, to Anti-Racism Daily and to follow all of the work that Nicole Cardoza is doing. Uh, now you'll hear from Nicole Cardoza and me. I said I'll be on a road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm not around. Welcome to the keynote and the final conversation in our sweatworking summit week. If you are with us live, thank you for being here. If you are watching this afterwards, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, we've spotlit. Nicole, I'll spotlight myself too, so you can see both of us. Um, We are going to be hearing from Nicole Cardoza. Nicole is in Austin, Texas right now. Um, So if you haven't been following her on Instagram, follow her on Instagram. She has tons of calls to action uh, for how you can help in Austin. Um, she did something this week where she uh, actually was matching donations. Uh, I don't know if you're still doing that, Nicole, because I feel like that would get very expensive at a certain point. <laughs> um, but check check out her Instagram. I'll put that um, in the chat in just a second. But before we get started and I shut up, um, I want to remind you guys that this is, or you all, um, that this is the Sweatworking Summit. Um, it's our very final session. Nicole Cardoza is our keynote speaker. Um, it took a lot to get us here, so I want to thank all of the partners who helped us throughout the week. Uh, we have to thank Tonal, Ufos, Nix, Les Mills, Boone, Undone, Avrani, Wander Beauty, Curious Elixirs, August, r co Tonehouse. A sutra, Mad Tasty, Wordiful, Half Day CBD, Athletic Brewing, and Olive in June. And of course, Nicole Cardoza, who is with us, um, before I toss to her, I want you to know what we are working with today. She is incredibly accomplished and very impressive. She's an entrepreneur, author, instructor who's passionate about reclaiming our collective right to be well. She encourages yoga and mindfulness practice for kids at Well Mental, a digital studio for youth. She invests in underestimated entrepreneurs in wellness through the Reclamation Ventures Fund and leads conversations on racial equity in the US at Anti Racism Daily. Her first children's book, Mindful Moves, will be released March 30th. That is that still true, Nicole?
1: Yep. It's available for pre-order and it comes out at the end of March.
0: So. And with that, here is Nicole Cardoza.
1: Hi everybody! I mean, you know, thank you all for having me today. Um, also, thank you for being so patient with me this week. Um, everything has been happening here in Texas. If um, you are also experiencing what's happening here in Texas, I'm sending extra love to you, whether you're listening or here live. Um, my name is Nicole Cardoza. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, As I mentioned, I'm coming to you from Dallas, Texas, um, but this is land that was originally settled and occupied by the indigenous people of the Caddo, Wichita, and Comanche people. So I'd like to take a moment to honor their leadership and their stewardship and recognize the forced removal of indigenous communities throughout the legacy of colonization everywhere. Um and if you'd like you can also um you know let us know in the chat what land uh you're coming from. Um and also if you're just listening to this and you can't see me, I'm standing against a dark blue wall. I'm wearing a dark gray shirt or dark red shirt and I have my hair in braids. So, <laughs> I have been doing this work for a long time. I'm excited to be in a space like this because I feel like this generation has such a responsibility to steward um, the opportunity for us to be well, Um, not just for those in this generation, um, but those that follow. And um, I can imagine that many of you are recognizing that we are living in a world where wellness is um, more of a luxury than a right um, that's clearly evident, which is what, with what is happening here in Texas right now, but certainly evident in how our government has been responding to COVID-19 here in the United States and the impact of the global pandemic around the world. Um, I, I've been doing this work and I operate from one question that I ask myself every day is, what would it look like if we all had the right to be well? What would the world look like? What would our social services look like? And then what would the wellness industry look like, right? The space that we're talking about today that a lot of us may operate in. If you are, you know, a yoga teacher, our our wellness uh, facilitator, if you, you know, own a shop, let me know in the comments, Um, you know, we're we're looking to increase access um, for all of us to be well in an industry that is inherently unwell. Um, And a space, a society that is inherently unwell. And so um, not only is it a gift to be in this work um, and to be chatting with all of you today, but I do see it as my responsibility to do so. Um, I think my perspective on wellness was radicalized from where I started. I got to um, start my wellness journey teaching yoga and mindfulness in schools and got to see the impact that this work can have on future generations, <laughs> on kids um, practicing with them each and every day. But I also got to see the constraints of bringing wellness into a school, into an institution, particularly in a you know an underfunded school in the Lower East Side of New York City, um, where so much of the system and the way the way in which it was structured actually operated against the kids' well-being. You know, growing up. Um, kids are often told to pay attention, but we rarely teach them how. And I think many of us as grownups may not have had that same opportunity to learn <laughs> the idea of awareness and self-regulation because it wasn't prioritized um, in our classrooms. And so for me, that's a kind of sparked this work of what would it look like to you know, reshape the system, to create new patterns and behaviors that are responsive to the needs that we have for wellness and not just things that can solve the symptoms. Although solving the symptoms is critically important, right? You know, A lot of us are afflicted. Um, you know, our, our emotional wellness, our physical wellness, our spiritual well-being is impacted by the world in which we live in. And we certainly deserve resources to alleviate those symptoms. And I like to think about that and taking it a step further is how can the work that I do, how can the work that we do, how can we show up in our practice actually change the system for good, right? Eliminating the need for us to alleviate the symptoms that we see. And So those are the two spaces that I've been occupying. Um, And I'll share a little bit of what I've learned. Um, And I think that, you know, as we go through both this talk and our work moving forward, it's always asking ourselves that same question. What would it look like if we were operating in a system where we already had a right to be well? How would that change our work? How would that change how we show up? Um, so the first, I, I, I run a couple of different organizations because I'm really interested in finding different models and communities that can help answer this question. Um, and so when I started building Yoga Foster, which is now Well Mental, um, our first thing that we looked at was how do we redistribute resources in order to make wellness more accessible? Um, because here's the thing is that we all have the resources. The resources are available for all of us to be well. The challenge is that they're inequitably distributed. Um, that's an abundance mindset that I like to take when I do this work. Let me know if that resonates with you in the comments um, or if you have no questions on that. Um, but I've seen that you know there is enough for all of us to be able to have access to well-being and wellness. What we need is to create models and systems and behaviors that help to redistribute those resources. So at Yoga Foster, um, which it was at the time, it's Well and Mental now, um, at, at Well and Mental, our first thing that we need to, to do is understand how can we create, you know, practices that can help alleviate the symptoms um, of what of how kids feel in the classroom, right? And how educators feel in the classroom and how parents can feel when they're engaging in the school system. Um, one of the things that we found was really simple is that in order to facilitate a yoga and mindfulness practice in a safe and healthy way, we needed yoga mats, um, you know, or at least offering kids a safer place to practice. Um, yoga mats are really helpful. I think many of us may know if you practice yoga, um, you don't need a yoga mat to do it when you're doing the physical parts of the practice. Um, but in schools, they're particularly helpful. Um, schools have really hard floors. They're oftentimes not cleaned like, quite frequently. So, And it helps to create a physical space, an actual space with four corners that a child can call their own, that a child can associate with grounding down and taking deep breaths and so not only did it have a use case from a physical perspective right um, you know help with knees and have a you know a cleaner place for uh, kids feet to go with socks on <laughs> but it also created space it helped establish boundaries it gave children a physical idea of the concept of agency it was a way for us to identify something that's harder for us to understand even as grown-ups is the boundaries the difference between the inner world that we carry inside our bodies and the world that is around us is really important for kids to understand because they're oftentimes operating in an educational system that is doing things to them, right? That they have a little agency into. And so mats became really important to us. If you've followed our work, um, we've redistributed hundreds of thousands of yoga mats um, from individuals, from communities, um, from major brands, and resent them to schools. Um, that was a really powerful way, just a very simple example um, to me of the abundance that is in our space. Because, um, one, there's a lot of yoga mats. <laughs> on average, every person that practices yoga owns four yoga mats. You know, they get one when they start practicing, they might get one for Christmas, they might go to an event and get one that has like a branded label on it, and then they might buy the one that they love. And most people that practice only use one yoga mat at a time only have use for one. Um, And so we knew that there was a lot of physical mats out there. There's also an abundance of care in our community, in the wellness space. All of us seem to care um, not just about social issues like access to well-being um, and the inequities in wellness. We also tend to be very environmentally conscious individuals and there's an abundance of care there that changes our behaviors. So when we started having conversations about yoga mats and we said, Hey, we'll take one of your gently used yoga mats. We'll send them to a school. People are like, this is great because I care about this issue because there until recently, there was no way to fully recycle a yoga mat. And even that is a very limited, it has to be a certain kind of mat built in a certain way, um, And so as we continue to do this work, you know, that abundance of care, that community-based mindset to me is one of the most powerful ways that we can transform this space because it takes community care for all of us to be well. Otherwise, wellness can remain an individual practice with individual goals right if we operate off of the assumption that this practice is designed for one of us to wake up one day for one of us to buy a yoga mat for one of us to bring it home for one of us to move around on our bodies for one of us to drink our juices or take our bubble baths or whatever is right for your practice it creates a relationship where we just we think that this industry this work starts and ends with our body right that's inherently untrue even some of the most personal forms of your self-care can't happen without the community, right? It's easy to forget that. You know, I mean, we're seeing that here in Texas right now. I mean, it takes hundreds of hundreds of people to make sure that we have the water that we need for our baths, to power the grid that gives us the lights for us to be able to lead our practices, to siege, to charge our phones where we might stream some content, right? Um, and when we start looking at those systems that hold those things in place that, that encourage us to be well, um, there's oftentimes a lot of inequity in people along the way that don't have the same opportunity. And so I like to think about the abundance of care, the abundance of resources that we have in this space Um, It was a really beautiful way to start our work at Wella Mental, Um, and it drove me to take a step further because as the organization grew, um, you know, I got to see we kept coming up against the system and what the system expects from wellness, how the system defines wellness. Um, And I got to see that really firsthand as well by being a Black woman running an organization. Um, you know, I'd love to hear how many other entrepreneurs are on this call, but entrepreneurship generally is in an easeful journey for many. <laughs> it can also be really challenging if you have a marginalized background or identity. So being a Black woman, running a nonprofit, also being young, um, came with all of its challenges. You know, I would walk into meetings and in spaces where, you know, people didn't think that I was actually I was running my company. I remember once I walked into a room and they said that they were waiting for the founder to show up and they assumed that I must have been there on behalf of the organization or on behalf of the founder, but it it couldn't have been me, which still like blows my mind because I was the only person on the invite and the only person in the conversations leading up to it. But that tells you something about our perception of who would be running a national organization trying to make the world more well. And so... It also made me realize like how interconnected all of this work is, right? Because I want to do work in an organization, like in a space that has such an abundance of care and also sometimes those preconceived notions that are inequitable, that help perpetuate the system of oppression, right? That help perpetuate these boundaries and these challenges. Um, it reminds me that I always have to take this work a step further, um, looking at alleviating the symptoms and changing the system itself. Um, So that's how I got into starting Reclamation Ventures, um, which some of you may know about. Um, It was directly uh, pulled out of a very racist incident that I had with the yoga magazine um, about a year and a half ago. Um, Another example of of how the industry will center um, or um, elevate uh, what people decide how wellness looks like. It's a whole other story. Um, but (laughs) what came out of that was creating a fund, um, you know, so I run a couple of organizations as I've talked through and we've don't, we've committed 10% of everything that we make to go to our reclamation ventures fund. Um, and the fund is designed to give, um, entrepreneurs like me access to funding to help their work thrive. Once again, there's abundance of resources out there. How do we get it into the well of the world? You know, the incredible studios that are holding space for marginalized backgrounds and identities. Through that, I hope that we can continue to elevate more leaders that look different, um, that speak to their communities, that um, are carving out space for all of us to be well. Um, and giving them the resources that they deserve to thrive. And so if you are one of those people and you're interested, um, you can go to fund.reclamationventures.co, or reclamationventures.co, it's in the chat, and learn a little bit more about our grant opportunity that we have right now. Um, We're giving away $5,000 in unrestricted funding to help people thrive. And again, I also think that's part of my responsibility is how can I be a good steward of this work moving forward? How can I continue to do this work and pave a space for those that follow? And, you know, I always thought that I couldn't do it until I had a lot of money or until I had a lot of success or I got to do speeches like this. Um, And I think that's the greatest misconception that prevents all of us from doing more. Um, I also think that's something that, um, you know, white supremacy wants us to believe. That we have to be in a certain level of position or power to make a change when in reality we have been and are so powerful exactly where we are. You know, it's about shifting that perception from scarcity to abundance and realizing that we can do so much to rally our communities. I've been referencing Texas a lot because to me, what's happening here is so indicative of that. A couple of days ago, I was listening to a press conference from state officials talking about, um, you know, over the past few days, in case you're unaware, millions of people in Texas lost power. Um, Over half the state has to boil their water because there's water issues now from the extended power outages. And state officials were saying, right now we don't have answers, but we recommend you to find your own mutual aid networks. And I think it's one of the first times that state officials have actually centered mutual aid. And if you're unfamiliar with mutual aid, mutual aid are are communities, individuals, volunteers that have come together in their communities to redistribute resources in times of need. Mutual aid networks are usually working all the time, but we're particularly resonant in times of crisis. Ironically, a lot of the mutual aid organizations that I'm connected to in Austin have been trying desperately to work with state officials to change the the systemic issues in the city to prevent things like this. But it's only in a time of crisis when they're seen as centered and celebrated as they are now, because they are getting people access to water. They are housing people that are in need. And so I say this because I know we can all create spaces for our well-being to thrive. And it doesn't take much. It takes redefining what it looks like to be well. Not just thinking that we have to have the best branded organization and (laughs) the cutest yoga pants or whatever, but really thinking about what do I need to survive? What does my community need to survive? And not just survive, but thrive. And what do I have that I can offer to that in that moment? Also thinking about how does your part of this practice, your relationship to wellness, right? what The companies that you engage in, the people that you learn from, how does your participation in that community help or harm others, right? Showing up at a studio, choosing what you wear, um, even choosing the types of spaces that you learn from can really transform or ascend this work. And so I'm consistently learning in this space. I'd really love to hear more about what all of you are doing um, as I continue to learn, um, because to me, this is a practice that we have to commit to consistently over time, right? It's one of the foundations of spirituality of of yoga that I've learned from um, and what a lot of my work is rooted in, um, is how can we be committed to this consistently over time with enthusiasm, So we can continue to learn and engage and practice with one another, to be in this practice with each other every single day, especially when it gets tough, especially when it feels like resources are scarce, because that is where we can actually make the most change to help people in that moment and to create a new system. So I'd love to take some questions if that's okay. I hope I talked long enough. I did not time myself at all.
0: That was, that was wonderful. Let's absolutely take some questions. Um, The first one is from Sarah Langer. She wants to know what are some of Nicole's or the attendees recommended brands to support? Let's start with you, Nicole.
1: Oh my gosh. So if we're thinking about like wellness brands, I think it really starts with detaching ourselves from the idea of brands. I think about like what people should I be in, in community with? Um, so what are some of the incredible teachers that might be in your physical community or um, are you feel related to based off of your identity? Um, and I would start there with people. Um, I'd also look at brands that are, if you're looking at clothing, really looking at fair trade and ethical clothing. Um, I also really appreciate brands that are inclusive in terms of size. Um, that's where I like to put my money, um, like superhero fit. I really love so. I hope that helps. Let us know in the comments who else could be looking. Oh, somebody said girlfriend at the moment that has um, a yoga outfit. Did you say that? (laughs) That has a a yoga outfit that's from recycled plastics. Um, Yeah.
0: Let's find some more questions. I know there have been a ton. Uh, Jillian has a comment. She um, lives in Austin and the mutual aid organizations have been amazing Um, Buy nothing, for example, and even individual donors have helped aid the communities in and around the city. Um, She agrees. The local government has done very little so far.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm not trying to get into like, you know, railing against Austin's local government, but they haven't done well. And I think what we um, as individuals need to remember, especially when we're talking about wellness, is that we cannot rely on the systems to take care of us as much as we can take care of each other. Um, so I just always name that. We can do a lot of work to hold the government accountable. We can do so much more work to build our own systems.
0: I have a question for you, Nicole. I, I know you've been in the work and doing the work for ever. Um, But also it has to be stressful at certain times to be taking care of yourself and your community. So what do you do to kind of stay centered as, as you're sort of caring for others and and pouring out of your own cup so much?
1: Um, I think the first thing is just reminding myself that the change that I want to see most likely won't happen in my lifetime. So detaching myself from the results Um, It's the practice of non-attachment, you know, um, mantra that I have for myself is doing the best that I can every day, even when I don't see a difference. Um, And that also helps me take time for rest because I tend to just keep working and working and working when I don't see results. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, maybe if I just do something for an hour longer, I'll see these results that I want. And it's like, realistically, you know, change takes generations. Um, I think we're still benefiting from the, you know, the civil rights activists and leaders that have, were doing this work from generations past. So that helps me. Um, turning off my phone helps. Tactical things like that.
0: <laughs> I'm sure. And I'm sure your your DMs are a lot sometimes. A lot. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm, I'm curious. Oh, we have a question here from Amy. She wants to know when you were looking for yoga mat distributions, how did you reach out to others and groups for the mats?
1: Yeah, we started with yoga studios. So we just went with where we knew there was the most abundance. Um, I My first yoga mat, I got to get from Yoga to the People in St. Mark's, which is a donation-based studio that I practiced at over a decade ago. But they let me take a mat. I didn't own a mat, and I was too broke to buy one. They let me take a mat that was left in the lost and found. And that was, the to me, like the clearest example of abundance was that there's a lot of mats left over that people weren't claiming. Um, so we had yoga studios host mat drives for us which was really helpful. Um, and then we expanded by working with larger yoga companies, yoga retailers. Um, so what we, we just asked, like, what mats do you have? We found out that a lot of um, yoga mat distributors have to throw away mats that might be returned um, or are damaged um, in the process of production. And damage is like a very loose term because that might mean it's misprinted or the color's off. Not like there's anything wrong with the mat at all. It just doesn't align with what they'd want to sell. So,
0: I currently have a storage unit full of mats that I can give a home
1: to. <laughs> well, we can have a conversation about yeah. that. And if you're looking right now, we don't have active yoga mat donation places because of COVID for a lot of reasons. Um, it's really difficult to send mats to schools with COVID. It's difficult to send, like to collect them, but we are still figuring out how to redistribute mats. So we can talk. And if you want to know, it's not on our website, just reach out to me.
0: Excellent. Um, Jenna has a comment. Um, she is referencing your non-attachment um, from results. She said, that's a good way to think about it, but I wish more change could happen quicker to redistribute resources and have health equity.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's. I'm glad that you named that because there's two things, right? It's like you can use this idea that change won't happen for generations and you can like take that time off. I also think sometimes that's, especially from a founder perspective, that, th- that can be a harmful mindset because it says, okay, you can just work on things that'll have a long tail instead of looking at immediate needs. So something I, I try to say is like, how do you balance the vision with the view, right? Like we might be working on something with a really idealized vision where we want things to be operating perfectly. And that can sometimes take people out of the work right now. Like, for example, if I wanted to create, like, a really great water distribution system in Austin, like, I can sit and vision about that all day, every day. But right now, people need water. And the, the idea of how we might do that in this moment might not be as easeful or as, you know, operationalized as you might envision. And so it does take, I mean, it's a lot to put on somebody, but there is that conversation about how do we do things now because people need things right now. And how do we keep our eyes on the longer, you know, the longer tail vision?
0: Melissa has a question about um, anti-racism daily newsletter and your experience starting it and running it. Yeah. Um,
1: So I started the anti-racism daily newsletter back in June. Um, It's a daily newsletter that um, offers both what's happening today, what the current events are, Um, And how you can take action. I think action items are oftentimes left out of traditional news sources. And that made me really frustrated, um, particularly um, when George Floyd was murdered back in late May. Um, I started it then because a lot of people were reaching out in my community asking, how can I help? right? You know, as, you know, somebody who's been doing this work for a while in philanthropy, um, I had this like, you know, huge racial, racial, racial experience with Yoga Journal. Um, I have a lot of people that follow me on social media, and a lot of them are white. And so a lot of people are sending me um, messages saying, what do I do in this moment? Where can I help? And I'm like, you know, with a lot of this work, as I mentioned, it's not just a one time thing. You know, it's, We saw that in the moment. A lot of people respond to racism from a very reactive state. They want to do one thing and check it off and move on to alleviate their own pain, right? And and provide immediate support. Um, And I was like, this needs to be a practice, just like everything else. And I know so many people that follow me are in the wellness community and they are, you know, meditating every day and getting on their yoga mat and they have their practices, this needs to be that. So I said, instead of doing just one thing, I want people to commit to doing one thing every day. And I always just said, I'd start an email, I'll send an email to you every day with things to do. Um, so, you know, our first thing was looking at not just how important it was to donate to bail funds in those moments, but to also help to end cash bail right? Looking at how do we change the symptoms that are in front of us, and then how do we change the system? Because just donating millions of dollars to cash bail will not change um, the criminal justice system and the inequities in that. So that's how I started it um, right now. Um, We have about a quarter of a million subscribers. We also have, I see in the comments, 28 Days of Black History, which is a similar newsletter, which we're just doing for February, which is more of a guided, curated exhibition through some of the greatest works created by Black people throughout time. Um, And that's, yeah, that's it. I mean, the experience has been really challenging, right? We have a daily deadline. Now in February, we have two daily deadlines. Um, I'm scaling a team um, to support, which is really exciting. So we can keep that practice going.
0: Uh, Thanks for sharing that. Brittany has a question about COVID. How else has COVID changed your mission and mindset?
1: There's a lot that COVID has changed in terms of logistics, um, you know, putting more of our work online than it was before, you know, while a mental, my organization worked directly in schools and now we're doing a lot with parents because parents for many kids are the new teacher, the secondary teacher in their child's lives um, than they were before parents or guardians. So there's things like that. But I think COVID for me was just kind of, it, I think it was the thing that radicalized me most when we talk about well-being. Um, in addition to the racial reckoning of this past year. I can't get over that both of those things have everything to do with our breath. Um, You know, in my work as a yoga and mindfulness teacher, the breath is the most powerful thing that we can add to our practice. Deepening our breath when we're in times of stress, taking time to breathe, learning new breathing techniques and all of that, right? Well, We live in a system this year where our breath is toxic. My breath, my exhale could kill you if I had COVID, right? Um, We're wearing masks to minimize our breathing around one another. And we consistently have a law enforcement that we support in America that takes away Black men's right to breathe. I can't breathe was another thing that we heard said again this year after the injustices that we've seen. And so I would say not just COVID, but everything that's uncovered that we've seen uncovered in 2020 um, has just emphasized to me how important it is that we take wellness out of this system and out of the structure of white supremacy and we start to rebuild it and reimagine it from somewhere new.
0: Um, And, Nicole, you've mentioned a couple times the incident with Yoga Journal. I want to give you space to either share what that was or say no and pass. So if you'd like to share more on the incident, now's a good time or I can move on to another question.
1: Sure. I'll I'll keep it quick. I mean, Yoga Journal's um, about a year and a half ago asked their community to vote whether or not I should be on the cover of their magazine after they chose me to be on the magazine, shot me to be on the magazine, and did all of this without my consent. And they had a survey that put myself up next to a blonde white instructor asking their community of who they would prefer to see. Um, It's not the first time that Yoga Journal has made actions to insinuate that certain people should or should not be on the cover of their magazine. It's particularly being done against Black and brown people, um, so after I called I after I called them into conversation and they ignored me, I put it on social media because I think, as many of you listening might know, it's like that's just one of many incidents where our voices have been minima- minimized as marginalized people in the wellness industry. Um, and I also felt like it was my responsibility because I have a lot of privilege and power, social capital, um, but also the fact that I'm a light-skinned, able-bodied, size zero Black woman. Um, so, if this is going to happen to somebody like me, imagine how many people haven't even gotten to the point where that injustice could happen to them. Um, so, I called them out. A lot of people came to my support. I think all of us are really fed up with this shit, <laughs> to be frank. Um, and ultimately, they put me on the cover of the magazine, but I had them give me all of the proceeds from that magazine to invest in. Um, other entrepreneurs that experience the same kind of stuff, which is, the, that's how my fund started. Um, so we're able to take that and pay it forward.
0: What, what an incredible way to make them pay. <laughs> um, I, I'd love to hear a story of one of the entrepreneurs that you've helped to fund. Can you, can you share any of those?
1: Yeah. Uh, so we've given money to over a hundred individuals over the past year. Um, we do two things. So we do impact grants. We have a grant round out now that's five k to um, individuals who are making wellness more accessible. Um, one of the people that we supported is Octavia Rahim, that runs a yoga studio. Of, was a physical yoga studio, is now a virtual <laughs> yoga studio in Atlanta called Sacred Show West. And a big part of her work is ensuring that other Black women have the opportunity to not just practice, but to um, become a teacher. Um, so we're really excited to give her funding. And then last year in 2020, instead of doing impact grants, we raised money for COVID and did more of a mutual aid form of support all throughout the year. Um, so we gave grants to any teacher and any underestimated teacher, facilitator, practitioner um, who lost revenue um, because of COVID.
0: That's incredible. And I want to make sure everyone who's here with us right now knows that we have Nicole for, we'll ask probably 10 more minutes of questions. So make sure you ask your questions now so I can get them to her. Uh, And Jenna had another question. She wants to know beyond yoga mats, how can we help redistribution of resources?
1: Oh my gosh, there's so many things. The first thing I would think of is time is oftentimes our most abundant resource um, because we can do a lot even if we don't use much of it. So I would say if there's wellness practitioners that you really love or wellness leaders that you really love. Um, Make sure you're following them on social, like and comment and save their stuff. I know that might sound um, simple, but it can make a huge impact. Um, Giving money is great. You know, consider that wellness and well-being is mutual aid in your communities. It's access to water and shelter and housing as much as it is access to a practice. Um, Volunteering in the same respects can be really critical. Um, and then you're already spending money. You're already spending time. You're already spending energy in spaces around wellness to so see what you can shift to make a greater impact too. So Amazing. Was it was it just a general question, right? Not just mine, right? Not just like my work.
0: Uh, it was general, but would okay, love to great. hear um, any, any ways we can support your work too.
1: For my work, I feel really resourced. I think the greatest thing is amplifying the work that we have with the people that may need it. So if you can read about our fund um, and the grant opportunity that we have now and share that with somebody who's inspired you, we'd love to hear about their work and hopefully we can support them. Um, if the Anti-Racism Daily, that's a free daily newsletter um, that's available for anybody. So you could obviously sign up for yourself or encourage others that might need to be a part of that conversation to be a part. That's at antiracismdaily.com. I saw it and then, in the chat.
0: <laughs> um, let's see, Akia had a comment for you. She said, I love it. Thank you for doing it Um, in reference to Anti-Racism Daily. It's so, so wonderful to start my day reading it. Also, she loves your 28 Days of Black History.
1: Thank you. 28 Days to me is a really special, special place. I really, I created that because I wanted to dive into more of Black history. We particularly focus on Black disabled and Black LGBTQ history in that one. Um, So I've, personally really enjoyed it. I tell people I did it really for myself. <laughs> but the, the, the anti-racism daily is also a great way for you to become more active if you're looking for more ways to learn how to redistribute resources um, in your community and get more engaged, because there's an action item every day. It might be political, it might be um, donating, it might be signing a petition, it might be ch- you know questioning or being an inquiry with your own identity, so.
0: Amazing. Um, Amy Gums wants to know what's on the horizon for your work. What's next for you?
1: Um, There's definitely going to be a time in my work in the next few years that I'll I'll, um, carve out more space intentionally for rest, where resting will be the first thing on my list. That is definitely something I'm feeling after being in heavy like launch and pivot mode over the past two years. Um, So that's on the horizon. And it's a big part of my work um, because I won't be able to do it without it. Um, We're also scaling our fund. Um, So right now we have four different impact grants uh, scheduled for the year, Um, but pretty soon you'll hear about more funding opportunities and more investments that we're making, um, which I'm really, really excited about.
0: Amazing. Um, I want to say that I was personally impacted by your rest over the holiday. I, I think I got an out of office from you that said I will be taking rest um, that I need to do the work. I saw that and I was like, yes, (laughs) (laughs) I will be taking rest I need as well. So I I just wanted to say thank you for doing that and for making it public as well.
1: Of course. Yeah, it was a big deal. My team um, all took off three weeks and I thought that was really important to do, um, not just for myself, but to model it for the people I work with because I don't model it well for myself. And so I've really tried to be mindful of that as quickly as our organization is growing. Um, so.
0: Shana has a question. She wants to know any advice for new entrepreneurs or people who are just wanting to start their journey.
1: The biggest thing is to start. Um, if you're waiting for the right moment, the right infrastructure, the right, brand name, none of that's going to come. At least for me, like I've never felt like I was like, it's the right time to start something. Um, it's just what's necessary. So I would say start it. You know, if you're working a full-time job and you can commit a half hour a day, you'll be surprised about how much you can do. Um, the second thing is not try to be like anybody else. Um, it's really easy to feel like your entrepreneurship journey has to look like what's celebrated, Often what's celebrated comes from significant power and privilege that is not available to everybody. I don't know you or your identity, but that was a big thing for me. I thought that I had to have everything as nice as people that had a trust fund and $2 million in a seed round without a deck kind of thing, um, which wasn't true. Um, The biggest thing I think that's happened with COVID right now, too, is that we're all looking for authentic ways to connect with one another. I think we're going to see a shift away from like very sexy wellness brands that we used to see to people being really excited about joining somebody on an Instagram live that has no website that you send somebody a Venmo. And I'm really excited about that. Um, So just do it. That's what I'd say. Do the
0: thing. Do the thing. Um, Erica had a comment, and um, I want to pivot it into a question, too. Erica is really appreciative of Anti-Racism Daily, and she really appreciates the action items. How important was it to you, Nicole, to make that actionable every day? And do you ever have to reach for the action item?
1: Critical. So I actually start with the action item um, before I do the work. Everything else in the email after the action item is secondary to me. Um, Because I think it's easy to be a passive part of, you know, of this generation. It's easy to be passive when you're reading the news and think, oh, this sucks. I hope somebody fixes it without realizing that that person is you (laughs) and me (laughs) and us, like all of us need to be engaged in that. So I, I, you know, if you get the email, you'll see the first section is the action item. And then after that is the, the article, and I have people that say like, I'm so sorry, I didn't read it, but I took action. I'm like, that's all I care about, really. I hope that you learn from it. I hope you get the historical context. We so spend time writing it. But the action is the most important thing um, because I think it, you know, it's important for us to recognize that we have a role to play. And it's important for us to recognize that these little actions make a difference because the only way we got to where we are are a consistent set of repeated micro actions over time. You know what I mean? That's the only way that white supremacy is upheld. It's the only way that companies are able to thrive and scale. It's not just this one-off thing. And so the only way that we change is by changing those actions.
0: I love that. And the the words we think as well are are so important um, too. Is there a a question we can kind of ask ourselves um, to continue to check um, our own privilege?
1: Yeah. um, You know, it's like I would always ask like how if a a thing is new to you, like if if a conversation or an event is new, an issue that's happened, controversy, if that's a new conversation to you, I always say like ask yourself why, like what? What privileges were you granted in your life to not know about that? I didn't have a clear understanding of how cash bail worked until a couple of years ago. And that's such a privilege for me because there's not that many people in my family that have directly been impacted by the criminal justice system. I haven't had to navigate that on a firsthand basis. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like, okay, what else not, might not be aware of just from that privilege? Um, And we all have privileges on not being aware. And then on the flip side, it's like what privileges can we leverage to make an impact in those moments?
0: That's wonderful, Nicole. As we sort of conclude our time together today, um, would love to hear any parting thoughts or anything you want to make sure we know about you and your work.
1: I think the parting thought that I would leave is that right now we have such an incredible opportunity to make change. I think what we're seeing right now, the, the level of instability that we're seeing right now, you know, both from the social, economic, health, political space, is because we are constantly challenging these systems and they're about to go through rapid change. That, that change can go one way or the other. Which people need to remember because there's a lot of actors right now that are taking actions that might not agree with how you want to see the world change. And so, know that there's hope in there. You know, know that when there's that much space or there's that much friction, that energy can create change, right? Um, and this is the time to be re- reestablishing and reimagining the world that we live in. Um, so I say that and I say, start small, start in your community, not just where you live, but the people that you feel connected to, who's your family, even if they're all across the world, even if you've never met them before, start there.
0: I love that. I, w- I was writing that down when there's that much friction, energy can create change. Yeah. Um, we're so grateful, Nicole, uh, that you were here with us, that you closed down Sweat Working Summit. Um, I'm so
1: excited. Thank you.
0: <laughs> thank you for being here. Um, I want to invite everybody who's here who feels comfortable um, to come off mute and just say thank you to Nicole.
1: Oh, thank you. I'd love to see you all. And I, I just realized I can see a couple of people in this gallery.
0: Yeah, we can it's go so into fun. gallery view if you want to show your cam. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna I'll count to three. Why not? I'll do thank it for you. us. One, two, three.
1: Thank, thank you. you. Thank you thank you, so much. Thank
0: And thank I'm going to hit y'all. end. This has been an incredible week. We are, again, so, so grateful to you, Nicole, and to all of you throughout this sweatworking summit. We hope you take something important, big, new, meaningful uh, out into your regular life. Girl, I said I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. Don't be upset when I'm not around. Just know I'll be back, so no need to frown. Thanks for listening to another episode of We Got Goals. Thanks to Nicole Cardoza for being a part of the Sweatworking Summit. For you, our listener, for all of the attendees of the Sweatworking Summit, for Ryan Barayuga for the video production, and for Ryan Deffitt for audio production.